Chapter 6 Rainwater held onto pine needles for dear life, and Beloved could not take her eyes off Setha. Stooping to shake the damper or snapping sticks for kindling, Setha was licked, tasted, eaten by Beloved's eyes. Like a familiar, she hovered, never leaving the room Setha was in unless required and told to. She rose early in the dark to be there, waiting, in the kitchen when Setha came down to make fast bread before she left for work. In lamplight and over the flames of the cooking stove, their two shadows clashed and crossed on the ceiling like black swords. She was in the window at two when Setha returned, or in the doorway, then the porch, its steps, the path, the road, till finally, surrendering to the habit, Beloved began inching down Bluestone Road further and further each day to meet Setha and walk her back to 124. It was as though every afternoon she doubted and knew the older woman's return. Setha was flattered by Beloved's open, quiet devotion. The same adoration from her daughter, had it been forthcoming, would have annoyed her, made her chill at the thought of having raised a ridiculously dependent child. But the company of this sweet, if peculiar, guest pleased her the way a zealot pleases his teacher. So, a couple, well, a lot of things going on here, right? So, continuing with this idea of what Beloved acts like um, in her, like, total attachment to Setha, right? We start to starting to get this feeling that Beloved is is definitely representing, in some ways, the daughter that Setha has lost. Um, you also want to think about the fact that Setha, you know, in the earlier chapters, she doesn't want to talk about the past. She really rarely tells Denver anything. She and Paul D don't even want to talk about the past, even though they went through it together. But for some reason with Beloved, it's helping her kind of come to terms with it. And it, she's actually, like, liking the fact that she's telling Beloved a little more and kind of letting her in a little more. So I think you want to think about, there's a theme here and it has to do with the past. Okay. So I want you to think about what that theme might be. You also are getting some recurring motifs of water and light, particularly the sentence that says in lamplight and over the flames of the cooking stove, their two shadows clashed and crossed on the ceiling like black swords. Definitely a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism going on there. So you want to think about what that means. Time came when lamps had to be lit early because night arrived sooner and sooner. Setha was leaving for work in the dark while Dee was walking home in it. On one such evening, dark and cool, Setha cut a rutabaga in four pieces and left them stewing. She gave Denver a half pack of peas to sort and soak overnight. Then she sat herself down to rest. The heat of the stove made her drowsy, and she was sliding into sleep when she felt Beloved touch her. A touch no heavier than a feather, but loaded, nevertheless, with desire. Setha stirred and looked around. First a beloved soft new hand on her shoulder, then into her eyes. The longing she saw there was bottomless. Some plea barely in control. Setha patted beloved's fingers and glanced at Denver, whose eyes were fixed on her pea-sorting task. Where are your diamonds? Beloved searched Setha's face. Diamonds? What would I be doing with diamonds? On your ears. Wish I did. I had some crystal ones, a present from the lady I worked for. Tell me said Beloved, smiling a wide, happy smile. Tell me your diamonds. It became a way to feed her. Just as Denver discovered and relied on the delightful effect sweet things had on Beloved, Setha learned the profound satisfaction Beloved got from storytelling. It amazed Setha as much as it pleased Beloved, because every mention of her past life hurt. Everything in it was painful or lost. She and baby Suggs had agreed without saying so that it was unspeakable. To Denver's inquiry, Setha gave short replies or rambling, incomplete reveries. Even with Paul D, who had shared some of it and to whom she could talk with at least a measure of calm, the hurt was always there, like a tender place in the corner of her mouth with a bit left. But as she began telling about the earring, she found herself wanting to, liking it. 
Perhaps it was Beloved's distance from the events itself or her thirst for hearing it. In any case, it was an unexpected pleasure. Above the patter of pea sorting and the sharp odor of cooking rutabaga, Setha explained a crystal that once hung from her ears. That lady I worked for in Kentucky gave them to me when I got married, what they called Mary back there and back then. I guess she saw how bad I felt when I found out there wasn't going to be no ceremony, no preacher, nothing. I thought there should be something, something to say it was right and true. I didn't want it to just, I didn't want it to be just me moving over a bit of pallet full of corn husks, or just me bringing my night bucket into his cabin. I thought there should be some ceremony, dancing maybe. A little sweet William in my hair, Setha smiled. Never saw a wedding, but I saw Mrs. Garner's wedding gown in the press and heard her go on about what it was like. Two pounds of currants in the cake, she said, and four whole sheep. The people were still eating the next day. That's what I wanted. A meal, maybe, where me and Hallie and all the sweet home men sat down and ate something special. Invite some of the other colored people from over Covington, their high trees. Those places Sixo used to sneak off to. But it wasn't going to be nothing. They said it was all right for us to be husband and wife, and that was all. All of it. Well, I made up my mind to have at least a dress that wasn't the sacking I worked in, so I took to stealing fabric and wound up with a dress you wouldn't believe. The top was from two pillowcases in her mending basket. The front of the skirt was a dresser scarf a candle fell on and burned a hole in, and one of her old sashes we used to test the flat iron on. Now, the bag was a problem for the longest time. It seemed like I couldn't find a thing that wouldn't be missed right away, because I had to take it apart afterwards and put all the pieces back where they were. Now, Hallie was patient, waiting for me to finish it. He knew I wouldn't go ahead without having it. Finally, I took the mosquito netting from a nail out the barn. We used it to strain jelly through. I washed it and soaked it best I could and tacked it on for the back of the skirt. And there I was in the worst-looking gown you could imagine. Only my wool shawl kept me from looking like a haint peddling. I wasn't but 14 years old, so I reckon that's why I was so proud of myself. Anyhow, Mrs. Garner must have seen me in it. I thought I was stealing smart. She knew everything I did, even our honeymoon, going down to the cornfield with Hallie. That's where we went first. Saturday afternoon it was. He begged sick so he wouldn't have to go to work in town that day. Usually he worked Saturdays and Sundays to pay off baby Slug's freedom. But he begged sick and I put on my dress and we walked into the corn holding hands. I can still smell the ears roasting yonder over the poles and the sick-so was. Next day Mrs. Garner crooked her finger at me and took me upstairs to her bedroom. She opened up a wooden box and took out a pair of crystal earrings. She said, I want you to have these, Setha. I said, yes, ma'am. Are your ears pierced? She said. I said, no, ma'am. Well, do it, she said, so you can wear them. I want you to have them, and I want you and Hallie to be happy. I thanked her, but I never did put them on until I got away from there. One day after I walked into this here house, baby Suggs unknotted my underskirt and took them out. I sat right here by the stove with Denver in my arms and let her punch holes in my ears for me to wear them. I never saw you no earrings, said Denver. Where are they now? Gone, said Setha. Long gone. And she wouldn't say another word, until the next time when all three of them ran through the wind back into the house with rain-soaked sheets and petticoats. Panting, laughing, they draped the laundry over the chairs and table. Beloved filled herself with water from the bucket and watched while Setha rubbed Denver's hair with a piece of towel. Maybe we should unbraid it? asked Setha. Ah, tomorrow! Denver crouched forward at the thought of a fine-tooth comb pulling her hair. Today is always here, said Setha. Tomorrow? Never. It hurts, Denver said. Comb it every day, won't. Ouch. A woman, she never fix up your hair? Beloved asked. Seth and Denver looked up at her. After four weeks, they still had not got used to the gravelly voice and the song that seemed to lie in it. Just outside music it lay, with a cadence not like theirs. A woman, she never fix up your hair? It was clearly a question for Setha, since that's who she was looking at.
So interestingly, so some interesting things here that kind of gives you a little bit of insight into um, Setha's, you know, wedding. I'm gonna put that in quotes because she doesn't really get much of a wedding because that's not they did not allow slaves to have ceremonies. Um, Mrs. Garner is a complex character because she is nice to Setha, but she is still in support of slavery and um, you know treating. Setha as a slave and, you know, benefiting from slavery. So it's, she's a definitely a, a complex character in that sense. Um, and then again, notice uh, Beloved with the Water. Notice Setha's line, today is always here, tomorrow never. Um, and Beloved is actually the one who asked Setha about her mother. And Setha almost never talks about her mother. So one of the uh, interesting ideas and one of the discussion questions for chapter six is about different forms of motherhood. So you have Setha the mother, you have Mrs. Garner who's sort of a mother figure, and then you have Setha's mother and you also have baby Suggs. You also have Denver in chapter five tending to beloved. So think about the different kinds of motherhood and what they each might show about motherhood or might represent or might lead you to some themes. My woman? You mean my mother? If she did, I don't remember. I didn't see her but a few times out in the fields, and once when she was working indigo. By the time I woke up in the morning, she was in line. If the moon was bright, they worked by its light. Sunday, she slept like a stick. She must have nursed me two or three weeks. That's the way the others did. Then she went back in rice, and I sucked from another woman whose job it was. So to answer you, no, I reckon not. She never fixed my hair nor nothing. She didn't even sleep in the same cabin most nights, I remember. Too far from the lineup, I guess. One thing she did do. She picked me up and carried me behind the smokehouse. Back there, she opened up her dress front and lifted her breast and pointed under it. Right on her rib was a circle and a cross burnt right in the skin. She said, this is your ma'am. This, and she pointed. I am the only one who got this mark now. The rest dead. If something happens to me and you can't tell me about my face, you can know me by this mark. It scared me so. All I could think of was how important this was and how I needed to have something important to say back. But I couldn't think of anything, so I just said what I thought. Yes, ma'am, I said. But how will you know me? How will you know me? Mark me too, I said. Mark the mark on me too, said the chuckle. Did she? asked Denver. She slapped my face. What for? I didn't understand it then, not till I had a mark of my own. What happened to her? Hung. By the time they cut her down, nobody could tell whether she had a circle and a cross or not, least of all me, and I did look. Setha gathered hair from the comb and leaning back, tossed it into the fire. It exploded into stars and the smell infuriated them. Oh, my Jesus, she said, and stood up so suddenly the comb she had parked into the hair fell to the floor. So I want you to think about what Setha the child does not understand about what her mother is showing her with that mark on her. Um, that definitely represents something that as a child Setha didn't understand, but now she understands it as an adult. Ties in with slavery. Ma'am, what's the matter with you, ma'am? Setha walked over to a chair, lifted a sheet, and stretched it as wide as her arms would go. Then she folded, refolded, and double-folded it. She took another. Neither was completely dry, but the folding felt too fine to stop. She had to do something with her hands because she was remembering something she had forgotten she knew. Something privately shameful that had seeped into a slit in her mind right behind the slap on her face and the circled cross. Why the hang your ma'am? Denver asked. This was the first time she had heard anything about her mother's mother. Baby Suggs was the only grandmother she knew. I never found out. It was a lot of them, she said. But what was getting clearer and clearer as she folded and refolded damp laundry was the woman called Nan who took her hand and yanked her away from the pile before she could make out the mark. 
Nan was the one she knew best, who was around all day, who nursed babies, cooked, had one good arm and half of another, and who used different words. Words Setha understood then, but could neither recall nor repeat now. She believed that must be why she remembered so little before Sweet Home, except singing and dancing and how crowded it was. What Nan told her she'd forgotten, along with the language she told it in, the same language her ma'am spoke and which would never come back. But the message? That was and had been there all along. Holding the damp white sheets against her chest, she was picking meaning out of a code she no longer understood. Nighttime. Nan holding her with her good arm, waving the stump of the other in the air. Telling you I am telling you, small girl Setha. And she did that. She told Setha that her mother and Nan were together from the sea. Both were taken up many times by the crew. She threw them all away but you. The one from the crew she threw away on the island. The others for more whites she also threw away. Without name, she threw them. You, she gave the name of the black man. She put her arms around him. The other, she did not put her arms around. Never, never. Telling you, I am telling you, small girl Setha. As small girl Setha, she was unimpressed. As grown-up woman Setha, she was angry, but not certain at what. A mighty wish for baby Suggs broke over her like a surf. In the quiet following its splash, Setha looked at the two girls sitting by the stove, her sickly, shallow-minded boarder, her irritable, lonely daughter. They seemed little and far away. Paul D. be here in a minute, she said. Denver sighed with relief. For a minute there, while her mother stood folding the wash, lost in thought, she clamped her teeth and prayed it would stop. Denver hated the stories her mother told that did not concern herself, which is why Amy was all she ever asked about. The rest was a gleaming, powerful world made more so by Denver's absence from it. Not being in it, she hated it and wanted Beloved to hate it too, although there was no chance of that at all. Beloved took every opportunity to ask some funny question and get Setha going. Denver noticed how greedy she was to hear Setha talk. Now she noticed something more. The questions Beloved asked, Are your diamonds? Your woman, she never fixed up your hair? And most perplexing, tell me your earrings. How did she know? So this is a really good look at Setha's past. And so we are going back to like middle passage time when the, uh, the people from Africa were actually put on ships. And so what... This woman, Nan, so she is like another black woman that is basically her job is to take care of the children, whereas Setha's mother is her job is to be in the fields, right? So she's referencing like the language that they spoke from where they're from in Africa and that there was a time in which Setha understood that, but now she doesn't understand that. And that's kind of Morrison talking about what slavery has done to slaves in many different ways. And so this is one of the ways that their culture has been lost is by stripping them of their language, right? So the other thing that Nan talks about is that they were both on the ship. They were both raped by white men. Setha's mother chooses to throw away any of the children she has as a result of that rape, but she keeps Setha because Setha is black. Um, And so she names him after the black man that um, she had relations with, okay? Um, And this seems really violent and this seems really awful, but you have to think about what it was like, the continual sexual violence and Setha's mother's probably just complete, I don't even think there's a word to describe the feeling that she has from this repeated sexual violence over and over again. Um, And so one of the things, you know, Setha's trying to like forget her past, right? And and like not reconcile with it and not have to deal with it because of the horror in her past. Like she says, there's nothing good from her past, just loss and and terrible things. 
But now she's starting to like remember this rememory that beloved has brought out in her. And there's a lot of complexity with it while it is good, right. To like sort of face some things that happen. It's also incredibly painful and it's also very rough to go through. And I'm totally minimizing the, the effect here just to kind of give you just a little bit of comprehension, but that's definitely a theme you want to think about. Um, Denver here is starting to now be a little suspicious of beloved kind of in the same way that Paul D is um, in that she's like, how does beloved know these things? So how does she know to, how to ask about them? So that's another reason why you might think like, yes, yeah, she is the reincarnation of the daughter that beloved that, that said the lost. Okay. Denver here doesn't like stories she's not in because, you know, again, she's lonely. She feels like her only connection is really her mother. This goes to maybe now beloved. And so she doesn't like to know about times that she wasn't in because, you know, she doesn't, that doesn't give her a sense of security, doesn't give her her identity. Um, and it, it's almost interesting, like how um, averse her reaction is to it. So that's something to think about as well. Um, yeah. And then you want to think too about some of the words that Morrison uses to describe beloved's um, asking Setha, right? She says like, Denver noticed how greedy she was to hear Setha talk. She couldn't take her eyes off of her. Um, profound satisfaction. So those are all ways she describes beloved wanting to know more of Setha. And notice that Setha describes it as an unexpected pleasure to tell her these stories. While at the same time, while she's folding the laundry, Privately shameful, slit in her mind behind the slap on her face. Setha was angry, but not certain at what. Yeah, so those are ways she just, just describes. So you might want to think about what that represents as well. So definitely think about motherhood. There's d definitely different types of mothers that are happening. And that's chapter six.